Okay, good evening out there, internet. How's it going? Hola, everybody. <laughs> well, here we are. It was Tuesday night. Scuba and Narai over here at Scuba Studio. And oh yeah, by the way, episode 50. And as a way to kick this off, as you can tell from the background, Rise in the studio today. I'm back. All you right. know, phase two allows me to actually travel. <laughs> I know, it's so But great. it never stops me anyway. I go everywhere. I please, because I'm Rye guy. The Rye guy, guy of the Rye. <laughs> yeah. What you're going to do when they come for you. Just run. It's another great night, another Tuesday night. And we got a few things to talk about. Of course, we're going to, you know, do the chats about the fact, hey, it's our 50th episode. It's We've 50 lasted people. a year, roughly. Had a few weeks off for various things. Oh, yeah. Gotta, gotta breathe, gotta breathe. Uh, Rye, why don't you start us off by telling us what you've been up to. Alright, so I tip a hat back behind, because I'm surfing from behind. I gotta make sure the waters are covered and we're protected, people. Gotta make sure the waters are protected, but first, dive into the weekend. One thing we did, we go to the farmhouse. That was pretty fun. Over the weekend, I actually did a photo shoot on Saturday. Did a photo shoot for my girlfriend's sister. We did a, like a prom photo shoot out in uh, downtown Norfolk in the old park. So hopefully I'll get to get to editing those photos this week and get it posted online. And then Sunday, just just the usual, just relaxing, running, catching up on shows. There's there's quite a few shows I'm watching through, so hopefully I'll have a, a full series review on at least two episodes over the next few weeks. Other than that, just keep working on my novel, watching movies, and oh yeah, some big news uh, dropped for me last week. I got into, uh, accepted into the Masters of English program at ODU. So I'll be starting grad school this fall. Nice. Congratulations on making it to grad. Oh yeah. It's, I've been waiting for, for a response because I submitted my application a few months ago. And I'm always on my tiptoes, but most everybody told me to shut up. You probably got in. You graduated top of your class. Pretty much. So now I'm just I'm going to start the ball rolling on that. My master's in English. Alright, so what's the plan after you get the master's? Uh, the, my ultimate space on the wall. Oh yeah, it takes up space on the wall. I might have to dust it a little bit, you know. Plan to make sure it doesn't tilt to the left or the right, stay straight on the wall. Or most importantly, my goal is to teach. I want to teach at the at the college level. So to do that, I need to get my master's. And the ultimate goal is to be ahead of an English department. Eventually, I'm gonna get there. This is just another step in that ultimate goal. Nice, so, nice. We did reach uh, 50 followers last week, so thank you to everybody who's followed the channel so far. It's much appreciated. Thank you, people. A couple other quick things. Uh, shout out, as always, to Sirenscape for the background musics. Today, we're going to be celebrating. What better place to celebrate than in a tavern? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a tavern. You grab a few drinks, I mean, you chill with a few people, just kind of jibber-jabber. I mean, how many great stories start with y'all met in a tavern? Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. I have, I've had many, many talks in taverns. Yes. Sirenscape, they make a lot of different soundboards and stuff for your tabletop gaming. Uh, go to sirenscape.com to check them out. We have a, an affiliate link in the doobly-doo and description. That's pretty much the only thing, major thing I've got. Uh, as all the usual stuff, thank you to everybody who's followed us, supported us so far. Namaste. And we're going to keep rolling through. This is episode 50, so take a look back over the last because we've gone through quite a bit of changes since we sat around a sushi restaurant and, and Ryan's like, hey, I want to do a podcast. And I was like, hey, I got podcast equipment. Let's do this. Hey, hey, you forgot the most important part, the sushi. Well, 
You're right. The sushi brought us together, the wet fishes. I apologize. Yes. I beg your forgiveness. Sushi is probably one of the most important things about that night. Raj talked about, he was. He mentioned we were both over at Farmhouse because I finally got to get outside. So went out to Farmhouse, a local brewery here. Great place to chill and just kind of take in the, um, the spring slash summer slash parole post lockdown i don't know there's so many different words i can't even tell anymore well with the various seasons and the various rules in virginia hey we managed to get a drink to kick off with is we're gonna go and do our reviews and then from there we're just gonna kind of keep on going so let's get that review good goodness going as last week, anybody who was uh, hanging out with us in the chat from last week, uh, HBO Max had just released. One of those nice things HBO Max has is they have all the Studio Ghibli films. Yes, they so, do. Because I have not seen the Studio Ghibli films. So I put the question out, hey, which, th which should be the first film I watch? Resounding uh, votes was to check out Howl's Moving Castle. So this is be kind of an old school rewind, as Rye puts it. So Rye, give us your critic eye. Yeah, as you said, uh, this is uh, another one that I put in my old school rewind review. It is a Studio Ghibli film. If uh, many of you are familiar with Studio Ghibli, makes many, many different uh, animations from Japan. Some of their famed works like My Neighbor Totoro, Spirit Away, my personal favorite, Princess Mononoke. But the fans asked to watch Howl's Moving Castle, which is a uh, Studio Ghibli film that came out in 2004, 2005, depending on when it was released stateside. But, um, it was an anime film I, I did watch a long time ago, forgot about it. So it was a return to glory, if you want to say. So Howl's Moving Castle follows a girl by the name of Sophie, who uh, lives in this kingdom where magic is present. And through circumstance, she gets cursed by the Witch of the Waste. And she goes and travels out into the countryside to seek out a wizard by the name of Hal. Uh, they come and cross paths, and in their journey, they come to learn that there's much more to be had other than just lifting the spell on her. Watching this film for a second time, it's been a long time since I watched it, so it's basically like a refresher. Uh, what I got from this film is that everything is poignant and endearing because of the journey. The first half begins like any typical anime film or anime story. If you're familiar with Japanese anime, what they traditionally like to do is just drop you in with no explanation. You're kind of just in the world with the characters, just kind of living out, trying to figure out all the pieces. What, what I like to describe is that most animation, Japanese animation, either series or films, they start spread out and they work their way in. Um, and this film takes on that typical anime trope of working from the outward in. So there's no explanation to why Sophie uh, gets turned into, gets cursed, why she has to go and find Hal and all that stuff. But as the story progresses, those, those, uh, those unknowns start to reveal itself. So it's an unconscious fluidity. You're basically living the journey as if you're one of the characters. So that typical un an explanation that is found in Western style filming actually is a plus here because then when things are revealed, you feel a closeness to the characters. You feel a closeness to Sophie, Hal, to all the ancillary characters and all their plights they have. Because what you find out is that everything, it looks like glitz and glamour on the surface, but every character has flaws. And that parallels to what's going on in the kingdom because the kingdom is at war. So that plays into the story a lot, especially in the latter half. Um, the second half of the film is where 
the animation work and the world comes to play even more than just the characters in the story. When all of those pieces come together, very uh, a crossroads of conflict with passions of the heart. So you have this war, you have Hal trying to figure out his place in this war, and then you have Sophie who's trying to break this curse but comes to realize that there's, there's more of an enchantment than just the spell, it's her relationship with Hal. So when everything comes full circle, it brings this fantastical escape of strong storytelling to an endearing poignant moment where the emotions catch up to you and it just, you feel as if you found your own kind of self-reflection in this like very odd, uh, crazy, colorful, stylized fairy tale. I was really impressed with this. I sat down and was just hooked into watching. When it got to its climax, I was thoroughly just in love with watching it. I mean, I was just like, kind of like when we talked about how I felt at the end of watching 1917, how that was just such a good film experience where you just lose all presence and concept of time. That's how this movie felt as I was watching it. So I was very happy with it. What threw me off though, reviewing it, looking at it later, was the fact that it was Christian Bale as playing Howell and and then just some of the some of the stuff where it's like everybody you see at first is just that style of those of that film and then everybody you see it's like they're not what they seem even Sophie's curse just was totally because I never really explained it but she overcome it herself and it was just kind of huh so I might have to go back and watch to try and figure out where they dropped the whole thing with the curse or go back to the book. Yeah, that's the one thing. That is the one thing that is a uh, flaw with just uh, anime as a whole is that a lot of times you're, you're so enamored by the escape and the characters and you're just glued to the journey that a lot of stuff doesn't get explained. It just happens. Ah. And, it, and it becomes uh, just an acceptance of the fact because you're in this world. And that's a predicated on that trope that animes do where they just drop you in the world. There's no explanation of the world because it's just that is just the world. That's 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 One Piece, that's Dragon Ball Z, that's Cowboy Bebop. That's just how the world is predicated on. But it's a good anime, uh, like you said, you fall into that escape and a lot of the tedious flaws that would bring a film down does it because you're just you're just part of that that journey. Yeah. So. Um, so what did you give this one? Um, this, um, film is a genuine treat if you want to get into anime for fans of anime or just for anybody that likes that escape the fantasy. So I think this is, like you said, it's available on HBO Max. Check it out. But I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I think it's an award-worthy film and I believe it did get nominated for, uh, Best Animated Feature that year for Oscars. I look back. I can't remember. We'll have to double check on that. If you want to read read Ryder's review of the film, as well as all the other ones that he does, go to ryereviews.com. Ryereviews.com. I have uh, plenty of films uh, that you could uh, read. I have top 10 lists. I have everything organized from A to Z in ratings. And you can check out my latest reviews that we talked about, Vast Night, Lovebirds, Scoob, and The Lighthouse. Yes, and Sakura. Uh, in our pre, in a previous episode, we actually uh, early in the whole COVID lockdown, we actually did have a anime debate, dub versus sub, and that whole argument. So check that out. That's a probably a pretty good one to. That was a really good discussion right there. Yeah, I remember so that. We're not going to rehash that. Uh, but I will say that 
after I watched Howl's Moving Castle, I went on to watch Princess Mononuke. I'm sorry if I butcher the enunciation. And then I watched uh, Spirited Away. Back to back to back. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I tried to watch Kiki's. I still need to sit down to watch Kiki's. I think Kiki's is an acquired taste. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, let's see. With that, for our reviews. Any, uh, any anything else been on the uh, on the shows, the TVs with you, Ryan? Uh, like we talked in the pre-show, I am working through a few series and uh, spread out series. Um, Netflix, I'm working on with my brother. Uh, shout out to you, Kyle. Um, we are watching the the Last Kingdom on Netflix. It's four seasons and it takes place uh, during the era when the Vikings invaded England. And it focuses on a character that is playing alliance and loyalties between the Danes and the, the English. So it's a pretty cool uh, show. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody that's watching it or wants to watch it. I will do a review once I finish the fourth season. We're only ha uh, halfway through the third season. Uh, second series I've been watching is Goliath on uh, Amazon Prime. It's stars Bill about Thornton as a lawyer. There's three seasons. I'm working through the second season, and I can say this that show is very, very uh, dark. Um, I'll have a full review later. And then the other one that I actually started last night is uh, we did talk about this on the previous podcast, which was uh, that uh, documentary about the, the 90s Bulls called The Last Dance. Yes. So I have an ESPN Plus, so I am working through uh, it's a 10 part uh, docuseries. I did the first three episodes last night and hopefully finish the, the rest of it by uh, next podcast. Nice, nice. All right, next thing we got on our list is our state of game. The point where we talk about the various games we're playing and what we're playing. Uh, for a lot of people in the chat now, I spent a lot of time uh, hanging out doing some uh, pirate role play uh, on, on a Discord server. So having lots of D&D fun there. Have, don't have any D&D games to talk about this week because pretty much all of them had to take a break for some reason. Challenge Accepted is the D&D the game where I function as Dungeon Master. We're currently working through Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And our next episode is going to be on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, got a couple of new players that are going to be joining the party. Uh, Roy, tell us about the games you're playing. All right. Well, everybody knows I uh, over the last few weeks I've been working through the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I reached chapter 17. There's 18 chapters in the game. And like most of the times, I hit a pause button whenever I get near the end of a game and try to breathe in the journey that I've done in the game. So while that's on the back burner, just for a few days, um, I've been going knee deep in Fantasy Star Online 2 more and more every day. And the more and more I play that game, the more and more excited I get because the higher you get and your levels and the further you get into all the instances and dungeons the more the world opens up the more of the levels you can fight in because what you learn is that every instance has tiers so you have like you know four or five different tiers you can work through and depending on your level you can fight in those tiers so you roll in deeper groups you can get better weapons uh, you can uh, improve your skills your subclass um, there's a lot of different various uh, scenarios, but like one of my friends told me the game doesn't start till level 50 and they've uh, kept me updated and they, I am excited to see what I will run into once I get to the level. So for anybody that's a fan of action RPGs or action MMO style RPGs, I would definitely check out Fantasy Star Online 2, uh, available on Xbox One and PC. Cool. 
free to play. For me, it's break into some more space engineers for about an hour. Uh, tried to figure out how to do some more mining and then uh, spent more time in Subnautica on the PC. I've got to sit down and do something else uh, PC uh, game-wise. Uh, I'm hoping I should be able to make time to do that at some point. You want to jump back in Torchlight too? You know what? I think I could throw down the dungeon crawler. Why not? Yeah. That's so we can we can we can work on dungeon crawler. You think you can get off your switch to play it? Uh, well, I still can play on my trusty laptop right here. You know, <laughs> I still have a Steam account and it's still there. Okay. So just gotta download it again. Pretty light on the games, so. But you know, it's a special episode, so we're not gonna waste too much time on that. No, no, because it's fifty. We're that old people. We need canes now. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. 50, 50 episodes in. Uh, so we were going to, we got through the first two parts of it. Oh. Got uh, one more thing we're going to talk about in this. Since we got people in the chat, uh, would love you guys to shout out on that. And that is uh, one of the things we talked about is, you know, when you work through something, you start to develop something. You have a, you have, you have to take a moment to look back and see how things kind of age, so yes. to speak. And we're kind of catering to the fact where I loves to go to wineries, and he loves to do reviews and stuff. And we've done quite a few. But one of the things we were talking about is what are some things that seem to just get better with time. Uh, obviously this show has gone through a lot in its evolution. The, my, the studio has gone through a lot in its evolution over a year. So with that theme and with uh, Ryan, his reviews is we talked is he went through and he made a list of five films that he felt got better with time. I hate to say I have not seen any film on this list. It sounds like deja vu with another list I did at the end of last year. <laughs> yeah, uh, go back and watch that one where he does his uh, top for the year, and we had a few guests on, and most of them had never seen after these films. But, but I inspired them to go watch them. You're right. You're a sparring movie critic. I mean, you did get Rotten Tomatoes at some point, so hey. Yes. But first film on his list is Boyhood. Now, Rye, why is Boyhood better with age? All right, Boyhood, for all those you don't know, is it's a film written and directed by Richard Linklater. Uh, Richard Linklater is known for a lot of his like story-driven films where it's a slice of life, but one of the biggest ones is Dazed and Confused. But with Boyhood, the reason why it gets better with time is because of the stylings and what this film represents. So basically what he does, he follows the life of Mason, which is the, the main character of the film, and it follows his early childhood to when he gets to college. Um, that's a typical coming of age, uh, slice of life story. But what is very unique about this film is that he filmed this over a 12 year period and used the same actors and actresses in the role. So for 12 years, you watch these characters actually age in the story. Okay. So that is one of the things that's very, um, from a writing and creative perspective, very enamored by it. So that, when I first watched it, I watched it just like a typical coming of age slice of life, which it was good with. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized how much of a piece of art this film was because of the fact that he used the same actors in the role. Just to think, not only the logistics of it, but just making sure nothing happened to these people for 12 years is is incredible. 
And some of the names in this film you might recognize because you have Patricia Arquette that plays the mom, Olivia. You have um, Ethan Hawke that plays the dad. Um, but it's watching the kids grow up because you feel as if you're, it's, you're watching your own memories, watching, thinking back about your childhood to where you're at at this point. And it's very living, it's very lifelike. There's no like Hollywood stylings. You're just kind of just watching life as is and watching them actually b both physically and story grow. Okay. So, and it was one of the biggest movies of 2014 and got a lot of award nominations. So. Well, considering the, um, the director who did it and just yeah. the scope and scale, if that had bombed, it would have been just horrible. I know. It, yeah, it, it, it was a, it was an indie darling, and it was just one of those movie movies that just it just gets better because the more you watch, the more you think, you feel the, you feel the the life because it is you're watching life as is. Okay, so you're it's that whole every time you see it, you're seeing at different points because as you're aging, your perspective of it is changing. Yes, my perspective is changing. I grow closer to the characters, and I grow. It makes me appreciate my own life and the things I've come across, good and bad. All right, so the rest of the ones on the list is Life of Pi, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Intern, and Chef. Yes. Now, in general, for, the, for, for these, what about these really kind of makes them get better with age? Um... For these films, the reason they get better with age is just the, the um, all four of these films, the reason they, they gravitate to me and they keep raising the bar higher is the uniqueness. Um, and that parallels with boyhood. It's, but it's not in the same vein, you know, it takes 12 years, just the uniqueness. From like the stylings and the, the, um, the meaning of all the different visuals in Life of Pi, to just watching the the old versus new guard in the intern where uh, Robert De Niro is the intern for Anne Hathaway's um, business. Um, and then just the, the bond ships that you find, like it's a father and son style bond ship in like the Grand Budapest Hotel um, and Chef, um, which stars John Favreau and he's trying to rebond with his son, but he does it through food and then creating this food truck. So there's there's a relationships that that form in this. There's there. It's just watching the uniqueness of the characters evolve, and the more you watch these films, the more of a bond you find in yourself with these films. Okay. Regardless of the flaws, regardless of the genre, because the intern is a is a very romantic style comedy, so you can notice the flaws. But what stands out are the characters and the uniqueness of the settings. A uh, question did come in about the Star Wars RPG. Yes, I have played it. Uh, so I think I played the last version that was published before the licensing was uh, revoked. And uh, realistically, depending on which version you're going for, there are a lot of combinations. I think uh, our party had a Chiss. Uh, I think we pretty much were going no force users or we had, or had force powers. It was uh, pretty wild, but the... The, we had a we had, we ended up going so far off the rails we broke the adventure, and couldn't recapitalize on it. And I think you know bounty hunters just do what bounty hunters do when they get go off the rails. So uh, I'd say just have fun and uh, make sure. And depending on which books you're working on, is uh, kind of a cool thing. I don't remember which particular version I have in PDF format. Professor Penumbra happens to have a lot of them in hard copy. 
So he is the uh, he's the authority on 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 that RPG in my mind because he actually has the books. Moving on, Moving on people. Moving, Moving on. on. All right. Uh, we covered that. That was a nice little anecdote because it kind of fits in with this theme of looking back and looking forward. And we're going to take that and look back on the whole thing with the studio. The studio started a year. Essentially, I've been trying to start the studio for a couple of years, but I haven't really solidified around an idea. I wanted to get into content making and do content things. And then Rye, when he was working on, a, on some of his stuff, asked for my help. And then uh, after uh, one of those times, I helped him with a paper, did an interview and whatnot. And we, he wanted to do a podcast to expand on his movie reviews because he's been doing reviews for what? six years i've been doing uh actually the raw review since 2012 but i've been writing reviews since the early 2000s because i used to post on facebook and then i stopped and then everybody got mad so i returned back with an actual website oh, with that it was like all right well i have some of the equipment let's do this yeah just to give my friends uh platforms so they could uh work on content and i would do the production side and it's been a lot of fun for me and then it was just kind of things evolved from there. We were originally just recording on uh, microphones on my MacBook. And then we moved into setting up video cameras, uh, basic webcams to test uh, how things are looking and, and to try and do some video recording, get into video editing. And Saladin came in and he's like, well, I've done streaming. So let me show you, let's, let's set up streaming. So we started to evolve into that. Now we have the weekly thing where we do the recording here on uh and stream it on twitch i go and i edit and put it out on uh, youtube and then also put, continue to keep putting it out in the audio format it's been a l interesting learning curve and development and i like it and i love the community that's starting to grow i think it's great to reach and connect and uh network don't be too quiet right I uh, <laughs> oh no i got enamored by your your speech it's just kind of hard to follow because you you, you, I got, I fell into the journey, oh, the escape, the journey. Yeah, you know, hint, hint, uh, you know, sail away, you know, spirit away, maybe, hint, um, hint. Yeah, um, looking back, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful experience. It started off of a just conversation because uh, what, you know, most people don't realize who've been watching the podcast is that we've had these discussions pre-podcast because we would just sit and just chit chat about okay. all this stuff. When we were sitting on the tech floor, when we were both working yeah. tech together, we would sit and have these conversations for hours. For hours, because there'll be a lot of dead time. So what else are we going to do? Yeah, the conversations have evolved from just a, a work-related thing to a genuine thing, because we have a, have a lot of, you know, stuff that we like to talk about, you know, outside of just, you know, video games, movies and stuff. We, we have a space to discuss about, you know, other topics, how, you know, real life fun stuff in life can come infused and the one good thing about uh this podcast it shows that you know there's nothing you don't have to agree with everything when you're discussing things but it gives a forum to where you know there there's peaceful discussions not everybody's going to agree but what i've enjoyed the the most thing i've enjoyed is watching the evolution of you know learning on how finding good topics finding right topics and how to blend in everything in between you know it, it it's helped me it's helped me evolve to be able to speak fluidity flu, fluidity you know speak can speak with candor candidness it actually has helped me with my writing too because now i'm able to think fast and imaginative and even more 
just because conversation uh, leads to more ideas and flourishes with thought. So that's w what I've enjoyed. And, it, 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 you know, I can just, just, you know, be myself, just random outbursts, you know, which I kind of do. Sometimes, uh, you know, I drop the beat and trip over myself running around the park. So, you know, it happens. It's been a fun ride and uh, working on content, working on uh, making content better. I'm working on going through learning how to use my DaVinci better and whatnot. So, you know, see it's how a, it's develop. a learning curve. But from where we started to where we're now, you know, we have a community where we all go diving into the waters together. It's Levios. Leviosa. <laughs> Let's get into our news stories for the week. We spent this road down nostalgia lane. Reel back in the fishes. All right, so we got one kind of major story we're going to talk about, and this is an interesting one. Thinking about this whole COVID and how COVID is impacting, and I went from being in an office to being in an office working, working remotely certain days to being a all by myself working on this all the time. And I really don't want to go back to an office. Well, there's a lot of people who are kind of feeling that, not wanting to go back to an office, or there's concern that the traditional office environment is now going to change because of all the social distancing. So the article I'm referring to is uh, from PBS.org. It is American skyscrapers face an uncertain future amid coronavirus. This is basically a transcript of an interview talking about how office buildings and skyscrapers in major metropolitan areas are kind of closed down because everybody had to do this lockdown. And then there's concern that certain deals, real estate deals back and forth for these spaces are not progressing in the same manner. There's concern that some of this real estate is gonna end up being wasted because nobody's going to be packed like sardines on the 50th floor in whatever metropolitan city is out there. Rai, you got thoughts? This is a very interesting article that he has put out there because it, it puts out the idea of what the ever-changing landscape of society is going to be like, not currently what's going on with, you know, people trying to live through this pandemic, but the, the post once we get to get to the place where you know everything is good to go you know there's a cure uh we can live how is the world going to look like post that with all of these new rules in place and this awareness that people have and this article brings up the fact about working you know because the tradition is that you work in a building you work in downtown you work in this whatever area where the skyscrapers are going Hence, like town center, like downtown North, you know, anywhere where there's tall buildings. Um, now with the COVID, everybody's working remotely. I'm working remotely. Um, my parents are working remotely. You know, you were, you know, you have your own office here and, you know, scoping out remote jobs. So a lot of things are moving towards remote capabilities. So now that everything is happening like that, all these CEOs of not, not big, not just the big firms, but any firm that houses in a building is uh, taking a look at why should I pay all this rent for four or five buildings or this whole half of this skyscraper when all I have to invest is in remote capabilities, which might be a third of the cost. So it's a, it's a give and take. So now that, you know, they're looking at reevaluating these leases, 
Um, how is that going to affect, you know, the real estate? Is the real estate going to drive the prices down? Are they going to reinvent how they use the spaces in these skyscrapers? Like oh, like what they what uh, uh, the traditional uh, shopping malls have been reinventing themselves because of the changing landscape of shopping and stuff. So are, are uh, skyscrapers going to reinvent themselves where they're going to create like a mixed use environment? Are they going to bring in entertainment? Or, or are they going to be allowed to, since it's going to be cheaper, um, might generate more of an entrepreneur, entre, you know, more people creating businesses and finding another space for themselves to have, you know? You know, it might develop more opportunities for other businesses to develop. Okay. Because like you, you've said, you mentioned to me before how like some new jobs have been created because of this. So with the sky, skyscrapers might lose in their value, it might change the course of how they, uh, how they evaluate commerce, how they, you know, reevaluate how they, um, how the zoning is. How zoning, how uh, city ordinances are going to zone certain areas, it might it might develop into a fourth or fifth style different or ordinance, not just the typical residential, commercial, industrial. There might be a fourth and fifth one we're not even aware of yet, and might be invented two or three years down the road because of the availability of space. Actually, there is a precedent to that. Uh, in this article, it does cite that prior to 9/11. Yeah. There was roughly 15,000 people living in uh, New York City proper. Post 9-11, that number is now up near 70,000 living within the New York City proper. Why? Because a lot of the skyscrapers that were in and around the uh, towers were repurposed into residential areas. Yeah. So there is a precedence that some of these, if you may not find businesses in them, but we may be inching a lot closer to the Ready Player One world where everybody had an efficiency apartment in these skyscrapers and just logged in and did all their work online. You know, just throwing yeah. it out there. Got to. It, I mean, it's it's a typical thing because uh, like like I mentioned it you know there might be a development of mixed use an example we can use right here in our backyard town center it's majority residents in those buildings and skyscrapers with a, with another third of it business like actual office buildings yes the Westin is a hotel and apartments the building across from it is a studio the building diagonal from it is an apartment so you know it's it's a mixed use. Um, it's a re it's a reevaluating of what to use the space for. Yeah. So it's not. I don't think skyscrapers are going to disappear. It's just a matter of what you're going to use the space for. They might uh, generate, like I said, new businesses, new ways of uh, you know people conglomerating. It might turn into meeting rooms. It might turn into entertainment centers. There might be a new style of gaming that we might not know of that might be filling these spaces. Odds and ends. This is the stuff where random stories on the internet that Rye sends me throughout the week. I peruse through them and I try to find a few that we could talk about and just kind of raise our eyebrows and go, what in the world? And we're going to kick off with a really funny one. Uh, and that is... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just... Is it the one I'm thinking of? It's probably it the one. Probably, we're we're going to kick it off really well with this. Roll the initiative. Here we go in the order. This one won out. It is the U.S. military could lose 
the Space Force trademark to Netflix. A few years ago, Trump sat there and created a new branch of the United States Armed Forces called the Space Force. Just recently, Netflix released a show that is called Space Force with Steve Carell and John Malkovich. Apparently, when the announcement of this new department, this new military branch was created, somebody forgot to go to the patent office and trademark the name Space Force. As such, Netflix apparently beat them to the punch in terms of timeline and will probably have the ownership of the uh, uh, trademark of Space Force. So does that mean the, the government has to pay royalties to Netflix for using the name Space Force? They might. Um, the article goes into how um, the you know how the attorneys for the military isn't trying really hard to secure the register of the trademark. But uh, quote from the the uh, CBR.com article: uh, Netflix, however, has been far more aggressive and has already locked down the rights to name in several countries. End quote. So they've got a battle on their hands if they really want the trademark, but the, the fledgling U.S. Space Force has, has not even uh, launched off the ground, literally and figuratively. So. so this is literally, we're in a room with a folder. We're going to talk about that we have this here, but we're not moving anywhere yet. No, it's all talk and all smack, but, you know, hey, it's number one, I think, on Netflix today, <laughs> the show. So, you know, somebody's liking the Space Force. Oh, uh, yeah, Steve Carell's in charge of it. <laughs> Our next one, speaking of uh, trademarks, is uh, Japan has a new stricter copyright law that it's about to go into effect January 1st, 2021. And this is to lock down the pirating of manga and yeah. anime. So the one thing is, is that anime is a popular thing in Japan, but just as popular, probably more popular, is the manga scene. Yes, and, and there are a lot, of, a lot of various sites and aggregates that copy it, push it out, and then the government is finally cracking down on that and is going to start going after everything that is not, that cannot be classified as quote-unquote fan art. Yeah. And that some of that, so the, start, the first rollout will be in January, and then the second rollout will be in October, where they're going to actually lay out, okay, this is the stuff that we will give a pass on, because it's quote-unquote fan art. But anybody who is trying to copy the direct stuff and then put it out on half a dozen other places is going to be shut down. Yeah, so they are coming hard because they want they want to protect the, the manga business because the manga business is very big in Japan. And uh, just to quote the article from AnimeNewsNetwork.com, quote, penalties for repeat offenders of illegal downloads will be up to two years in jail. Or maximum fine of two million yen translates into eighteen thousand U.S. dollars, or both. End quote. Maximum of five years and five million yen. So, if you really want to get that manga, just go to Barnes and Nobles or something. You know, I don't know. Save your soul. Uh, hey, who remembers the Nintendo sixty-four? I do. I know I do. I do. Here's an interesting little tidbit when we want to talk about games and the evolution of games. If we want to compare games, we compare like the PS4 to the PS3, you know, that kind of thing. Or looking at, or, but you not really have, it's really hard to find a good comparison of like cartridge generation to now. Well, here's an interesting little tidbit from, what is it? Uh, game Rant. Game Rant? Yeah. 
Someone did the math and calculated that you could put every single Nintendo 64 game on one cartridge for the Nintendo Switch and still have room to spare. Oh yeah. Just imagine people, all those games on that little cartridge for your Switch. Yeah. Um, I'm actually gonna pull. I'm actually gonna pull this one up just because like there are I some numbers you, here. Oh that yeah. I just thought were mind blowing. You want me to give the numbers, or are you gonna give the numbers? I'll take. A, I'll, I'll pull it up. All right. All right. So, apparent. So if we look at it, each game on the Nintendo six, each cartridge for the Nintendo sixty four could hold at most sixty four megabytes of data. That means the entire library. All 388 games for the Nintendo 64. This is, includes all the major titles as well as all the obscure titles. All of them, people. Would total up to be about 24, 25 gigabytes. Now, the memory card for a Nintendo Switch is 32 gigabyte. Wow. But for another comparison, when you look at it, games like the new Modern Warfare that dropped is inching near... 200 gigabytes due to all their constant updates oh yeah it's it's pretty big and i believe uh when i when i got red dead 2 and put it on it was about 109 gigs mm -hmm. initial install so Which, i mean think about it. we don't really think about that we don't i mean looking back at how things were how is such a small amount of space gave us things like Zelda Ocarina of Time, which uh, when that it was like this massive thing. Yeah, it was a massive thing. Then you had the the, the big shooters um, like GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, uh, all the Mario games. Um, you had the, the sports games. You had the, the the wrestling games and all the obscure titles that you would refer to. Yeah, all fitting on that one little cartridge for the Switch. Well, now if Nintendo would actually release the Nintendo 64 library on their country. Hint, hint. <laughs> you know, it would go perfect with uh, with all the, the Nintendo uh, classics and the Super NES classics already there. Yeah, well, just to put in a testament, I think it took me uh, half a weekend to download the Final Fantasy VII Remake. So. This is a great little callback. For those of us who uh, do D&D &D and, and other games, we all... or anime and stuff we think about models like how about those gundam models that some people spend hours and hours working on or let alone the dnd models that you have to assemble whether it's uh whiz kids reaper or any of that well apparently bandai has decided to take it a step further with making models and is going to release a model of their cup of noodles Instant cup of noodles, the iconic cup of noodles. Yeah, I said it. It, it, it is a thing. We have the article. It was uh, published on what? Kotaku. Yes. And it's a, it takes you, and here's, now this is genius in engineering. This model is, you have to assemble everything from the cup, the noodles, the vegetables on top, the label, all of it you have to create. They designed it. To where it only takes you three minutes to put the model together, which coincidentally is how long it takes to cook it. Oh, how touche <laughs> there, Bandai, touche. It does a, it does, it, hey, you can go ahead and put it together while cooking some noodles. So by the time you get it built and you're looking at it, you can eat your noodles while staring at your noodles. So yes. 
noodle heaven, people. Noodle heaven. Very much so. Um, <laughs> I think this will be another one of those random purchases I get, like the, the Kirby pillow. So. Oh, no, no. Actually, you know. Let me, let me go ahead and start looking. Go ahead. That'll probably be a very short build video if I do one. But yeah, it's uh, the article has screenshots of the whole thing. It's really great. So if you're a model builder or a crafter, that's uh, probably just one of those novelty items you'd want to grab. Uh, speaking of... Uh, just, to, just to add a tidbit, I went searching and it kind of hurt my soul. I read the last sentence of the article. Uh-oh. Quotes on Kotaku. The cup, noodle, the cup noodle plastic bottle goes on sale September 18th. In Japan, no word about an international release. Uh-oh. So I'm going to have to be doing some black market bootlegging for some fake uh, noodles. We need, to, we need to be getting that international shipping going. I need some help, people. Help me get these noodles. But in September. Alrighty, and our last one, speaking of novelty, Sega has decided Sega. to... Sega. As a part of their, uh, part of their anniversary deal... 60th anniversary. Yeah. Their 60th anniversary, they have decided to release a new, a little micro console. And it isn't going to be the Saturn. It isn't going to be the Dreamcast. It is going to be probably their most infamous device. And that is the Game Gear. Their attempt to beat Nintendo at the handheld market. They are going to release four different little micro Game Cubes or Game Gears. To give an idea for the scale here, the screen on this little device is 1.15 inches. About that, people. About like that. And if you order all four of them, they will include... <laughs> A micro version of the magnifying screen that came that you could buy for the original when you bought the original Game Gear. I'm sorry, I, this is so hilarious because it's it's the little micro console when everybody complained about the Game Gear being so big compared to the Game Boy. Yeah, it's so funny. And having to have this extra screen that would magnify it so you could see. But uh, yeah, each cons each little uh, handheld is going to have a set of, a different set of games. So you're going to have to get all four to get all the games if you really wanted them. So yes, and when they go on sale, they're going to go on sale for forty four thousand nine hundred and eighty yen, which translates to be about forty five bucks U.S. Um, forty five bucks for some micro things. Off of Kotaku. Yes, I love Kotaku. So, just to give you some, uh, some if you want to know the games on there, they do give a list. Um, so, just quote Black One will have Sonic, Outrun, Royal Stone, and Puyo Puyo 2. Blue comes with Sonic and Tails, Gunstar Hero, Sylvian Tail, and Baku Baku Animal. Red includes uh, Game Gear Shinobi Columns and two Mega Man Tensha Gaiden games. And the yellow comes with Shining Force, Shining Force 2, Shining Force Final Conflict. And Nazi Puya are in the roof. So, if you're a fan of those games, you probably want to try to check it out. If not, just, just I don't know. I don't know why I would play on that small screen, but hey, nostalgia. Nostalgia, nothing. This is just like cheesy, gimmicky stuff. I mean, come on. Well, somebody's going to buy it. Not me. Oh, I'm but sure somebody will. I'm, I'm just trying to picture I never this had the game here. That's why. That I'm going to sit here. I mean, 
Yeah, it's 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 um it's um when you have you know something like this to play on, why would you play any smaller? Just the novelty side. I think not only did they make four of them, and they replicated a pretty pretty good approximate pretty good on what the Game Gear looked like. Yeah. In fact, they also went ahead and produced the magnifying screen to put on top of it, so you could see it a little bit easier. That's great. But you know, someone who's got like big mittens like me, that's going to be really kind of. I have small mittens, so it might work for me. <laughs> you know, it would have been much better if they did like a uh, a classic version of the Dreamcast. That would just be a personal. That's just a personal nostalgia because the Dreamcast was a wonderful system, very uh, dark horse system that had a lot of game, good games on it. So yes, yes. Please, Sega, please give me a classic version of the Dreamcast. I think that's uh, pretty much it for as far as our stuff to talk about. Yeah, it does. I think so, we're going to be, uh, we're going to go and call it a night. I think we have a couple of things we're going to talk about on our Patreon chat. Uh, still working on making videos for our Patreon, so we're going to go ahead and roll through our contact info. This is, of course, where you can find the studio and follow the studio. We have a Discord community that's trying to grow, so it's uh, the Wild West right there. Um, then, of course, we have the YouTube channel, which we're trying to which we're grow trying to grow as well. So, as always, uh, we stream here on Tuesday nights, and we stream on Saturdays. This Saturday, 8 p.m. is going to be the next episode of Challenge Accepted. Thank you, Sakura. I look forward to seeing Thank you. you again. So, with that, wish you all a happy, great night. Love each other. Stay safe. And uh, we'll see you on our next one. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.